Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show today. My guests are Kathy Hudson, the Senior Strategist for Industry and Academic Engagement at the National Security Agency. Kathy, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Jason. And my guest also is Eric Bryant, a Technical Director in the Crypto Analysis Organization at NSA. Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. Today, we're doing something a little different on Ask the CIO. Neither of you guys are CIOs, but we're going to talk cybersecurity. And more specifically, we're going to talk about the NSA's Codebreaker Challenge. The 2018 version just recently finished. You guys, I'm sure, are planning for 2019. But this is an event that's been going on for some time. So let me start with maybe Kathy as the Senior Strategist for Industry and Academic Engagement. What is the Codebreaker Challenge? Give us the the high-level view and and maybe give us a little bit of background about how it got started and and why you guys, why does NSA do this, this initiative? Codebreaker Challenge is an annual cybersecurity and cyber cryptanalysis challenge that's open to uh, all of academia across the country. It started in 2013 as an interesting exercise to kind of introduce NSA to students in college across the country and really highlight some of the skills that we're, we are looking for as far as the talent we need to do our mission here. We, I'm going to pass it over to Eric because he can add some additional details. The first challenge back in 2013, and part of the original motivation was to, to look at you know, how, how can we engage on a more technical level with university students and also give them a better sense of what, what it is that NSA does. And so the, the first challenge we did with just a couple universities and where the real breakout year was, I would say, in 2015, once we made a public-facing website and really open it up across the country. And we saw participation go from you know, a handful of schools to hundreds of schools and thousands of students. And it's continued to grow um, ever since. Boot Breaker Challenge really, as it evolved, has been a unique, I would say, non-traditional way for us to provide instruction to students, uh, largely at the collegiate level, but we have uh, a number of high schools that are starting to participate, as well as really help the agency identify talent. We really uh, wouldn't have the opportunity to see if it wasn't for for this unique activity. I know we're getting ready for 2019, we'll talk into that, but maybe, Eric, walk me through a little bit of the initial thoughts, not just behind it, but you guys had to set up a challenge. You had to set up some sort of of event and and this is not just hey we're going to put some you know things on a computer and you guys can solve it find the bugs it's, it's not necessarily a bug bounty or a hackerathon this is we're going to give you a problem and, and you're going to see if you can fix it or stop the intruders from breaking in walk me through what what the what the code breaker challenge is for these students and and, and schools it's really a, an opportunity for them to both learn and, and work through a series of tasks that get, they, they all relate to a common theme. So each year we try to come up with a realistic scenario that, that reflects something you know, similar to what, you know, the way NSA, some, some aspect of our mission. And we, we structure the challenge so that the, the beginning tasks are easier and more accessible to students. Because not, not everybody, in fact, most students, I would say, don't have prior experience um, in areas like reverse engineering and vulnerability analysis and cryptanalysis. And so we, we structure the problem so that they that there's this progression of tasks, and then, but they're, they're working towards some ultimate goal. And so the tasks are, are linked, so there's often you know, dependencies between the tasks. Um, and in the case of like the most, most recent challenge, this was a ransomware-themed, ultimately they were trying to 
be able to unlock the ransomware without actually paying for the ransom and going a step further to recover all of the funds that victims had paid in and pay those back by exploiting some logic in the uh, attacker's contract. So it uh, kind of covers a, a wide range of, of, uh, of activities. So do you guys have to, as you're developing the different challenges, you have to do it yourself first? Or are you part of that group that has to think of it, com- you know, come up with the code to to uh, the scenarios and then and come up with the way to do it? Or is, that, is there some kind of computer program that you can just kind of plug in certain factors and it comes out with the challenge? How does that work? It's definitely a creative process. So what we, we usually, at the beginning of each year, um, we just had our, a recent workshop uh, in February, actually. But uh, yeah, the, a group of us will get together and we'll start brainstorming different ideas. You know, each year we want the challenge to be fresh and unique. So we, we try to have both from a theme standpoint, have it be something new, but also from the underlying technologies that we want to highlight and aspects of NSA mission that we want to highlight. And so it's, it's really an iterative process of kind of, we initially start at a kind of a macro technology point of view and story point of view. And then as th- things start to kind of come together, as we think about, hey, you know, this would be an interesting type of vulnerability to, to kind of work in, or this technology, you know, if there was some recent interesting technical presentations, for example, at conferences, highlighting vulnerabilities, you know, maybe weaving those into the challenge. Um, and then you know, before you know it, you, you finally have, you know, kind of an end-to-end story. And, and then at that point, that's when we start actually building it. So it's, it's a, the actual development of the challenge then is, is a you know, multi-month effort. And, you know, and each one is, you know, they're unique and there's not a lot of overlap or, or except for the website, for example, you know, that doesn't change that much from year to year. But the actual problem itself that we develop, those are unique, you know, every year. So I, I think it's really important, something Eric said early on. The problem is always developed internally by a team of our highly skilled experts. So it is a team of internal NSA employees that are coming together designing the challenge. And there is always – the problems are always designed to be realistic, and they've got an NSA mission-centric backstory to them as well. So they're really quite relevant, at least from our perspective. And, and Kathy, when do you guys start getting interest? Uh, so the 2018 ended sometime in December. It, here we are, early part of 2019. Are you starting to get calls? When you talked about how this has grown, Eric talked about just a few schools to now hundreds of schools and thousands of students. What, what kind of excitement has this generated over the last you know, three, four, five years? Oh, my God, the excitement is really huge. Eric, do you remember how many schools participated in 2018? Was it... 276 or? I think it was 300 and 377. 377, actually. Yep. And I'm looking at the numbers right here, and we had over 2,600 individuals participate. So now what is happening is the schools have gotten a sense of what the timeline is. They know come August, September, Codebreaker Challenge is usually released. Historically, we closed it in December. But what we have found is kids get involved in December with finals and focusing on other things. So we kept the challenge open until the beginning of January this year so they could get through school, finish finals, and then go back to Codebreaker. And many of them went through and finished more tiers of the challenge. So it looks like the Codebreaker Challenge now will be open for a longer period of time. So over time, the interest has been amazing. And what is happening is schools are reaching out to our academic liaison saying, hey, can we get a clip? glimpse of what the problem's going to be this year or 
When is it going to be released? Because some of the schools are actually incorporating it into their curriculum. So they're making Codebreaker actually part of their coursework. Now, Eric, you have a, a second job, if you will. You also are an academic liaison for Purdue University. What's your experience on, uh, when you visit them or when you work with the folks at Purdue? There's usually quite a bit of enthusiasm and excitement uh, when, I, when I come onto campus. Um, each year, you know, I always visit in the fall and towards the beginning of September um, and you know, give a tech talk that both walks through how you solve the previous year's challenge, but also then introduce the new challenge. And year after year, the, the crowd seems to grow every year um, that, that come and attend this talk. And um, there's also, we've also seen the emergence of um, additional groups on, like student clubs on campus that actually now focus on these types of, you know, Codebreaker is one that, you know, runs throughout the semester, but then they also are doing smaller capture the flag style challenges um, as well. So, so that's been, that's been great to see, you know, how things have kind of evolved at Purdue in particular. But yeah, as, as, as Kathy had mentioned with other schools, how it's been incorporated in the classroom and some professors are actually having this be either extra credit or as part of their um, curriculum. And, and so we've had a number of professors reach out to get, um, you know, student results or, um, you know, ask for, you know, us to come to campus and give tech talks. So, so yeah, it's, it's been pretty great to see. Yeah, we love it when those professors call in and say, hey, I'm really dependent on Codebreaker Challenge to be, to be the majority of my co- coursework this year. Tell me it's still going to happen. Uh, so we love those kind of calls because they are now building in a tradition of Codebreaker into their coursework, which is just phenomenal. And that also helps get the word out about the National Security Agency, who we are, a little bit about what we're doing the exciting problems that we're facing because the kids really realize, oh, this is really cool. I had no idea NSA was all about this. Yeah, and a, and a good example of that actually was the what we did for the 2016 challenge. Um, a lot of people, you know, many people here just from the news media and everything like that, they're familiar or at least heard of our signals intelligence mission. Um, but, but not as many people realize how, you know, the support that NSA provides to military operations and our forces abroad. And so what we highlighted in the 2016 challenge is we actually designed the bomb. You know, it was a, in the storyline, it was, you know, terrorists had come up with this new improvised explosive device that was like, kind of like a roadside bomb. And so what they were, the task they were working through in that challenge was, I mean, ultimately they were working to, to have a exploitation capability that could both disarm, but even like brick the device in, in the field, which of course would leave, lead to you know, lives saved. And so we we tried to highlight that aspect of the mission as well. And there's a lot of people that didn't even realize that that was something that NSA might be involved with. All right, very cool. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to jump into the 2018 Codebreaker Challenge and talk maybe a little bit more about that one because it was on ransomware and blockchain, two huge issues that I think uh, you can't go to a conference in the Washington, D.C. around federal IT without someone mentioning <laughs> those two things. We're going to take a quick break. My guests are Kathy Hudson, a senior strategist for industry and academic engagement at the National Security Agency, and Eric Bryant, a technical director in the crypto analysis organization at NSA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Kathy Hudson, a senior strategist for industry and academic engagement at the National Security Agency, and Eric Bryant, a technical director in the crypto analysis organization at NSA. Today, we're talking about the NSA Codebreaker Challenge. And uh, this, so this is a special edition of Ask the CIO focusing on cybersecurity and, and the challenges and, and the recent competition. And this is a great starting place for the 2018 Codebreaker Challenge. It recently ended in, in December, January timeframe. Discuss the event. What was the focus? I know it's ransomware and blockchain, but tell me more. What did the teams have to do? So, Eric, walk me through what happened. To start with, the specific blockchain technology that we're using is Ethereum, which is one of the probably the second largest, I think, right now, aside from Bitcoin. And one of the things that, that's kind of unique about Ethereum is that you know, in addition to just like having normal supporting regular transactions is this notion of smart contracts. And so the way to think about that is that it's code that's actually being executed with, you know, on the blockchain. And so Ethereum, there's actually a, a virtual machine that, that runs this logic. So everybody who's a node in, on the blockchain executes this code. And with it being on the blockchain, it basically is, you, you know, that, you know, specifically exactly what's going to execute as you transact with it. And so, for the 2018 challenge, uh, we came up with some ransomware, and the twist on it was that the attacker, you know, in order to incentivize their victims to, for, to actually pay for the ransom, created these smart contracts and uh, have it on the blockchain. And so um, what the students needed to do as they worked through, you know, a whole series of tasks is ultimately they're trying to um, obtain a copy of the key so they can unlock their ransomware, um, but also uh, exploit some logic bugs in the smart contracts that the attacker has written so that they can actually take back all of the money that's been paid to the attacker and then redistribute those funds to the victims. Um, and so the the challenge itself, like it, it, we to start off with some easier tasks in the beginning, you know, the first thing is we had some network traffic analysis. So to start with, you know, the students were presented with um, some traffic that was, you know, captured of, on, you know, within, in the storyline, this was ransomware that had infected this government network. And so they were looking at the traffic to see, well, where, you know, what's the IP address? Where, where is the attacker's box, you know, on, on the Internet? And so they had to do some traffic analysis to find that. And that, that, was a, that was a simpler task, but to kind of expose them to doing some network analysis. Then it moved into uh, some reverse engineering-related tasks where, um, you know, in the storyline, there were some artifacts left behind by the ransomware. Um, they had to analyze those to recover um, some key material. This key material was involved in, um, in the actual deployment of the ransom contracts on the blockchain. Um, so if, you, if, you, if you've ever had you know, through various online services, you get those little six-digit codes, for example, that are sent via text message, these one-time codes. Um, that type of technology we had incorporated in as an authentication mechanism for the ransomware to get deployed. And so um, there's a key that you need to, in, that, in order to actually generate those time-based codes, and that was one of the tasks that the students had early on. And so eventually, once they get about halfway through the challenge, that's when they start, you know, doing the actual blockchain analysis, and and that's where they're they're looking to see initially who are the other victims, and you know, some, getting some other information about you know the, the contract, 
And, and that then leads them to the second to last test, test six, where they need to basically be able to unlock their ransomware, um, but without actually ever paying the, the ransom, without actually expending any uh, ether. So that involved exploiting uh, uh, some logic bugs in the smart contract. Uh, and then the final task was uh, to actually be able to, then, like I said, drain the attacker's balance in their ransom contract and then pay back all of those victims that had paid in. So that was those, those are the, the two hardest tasks that they had to complete. There's seven tasks and all, it sounds like, and each one build on the next one. So if they stumbled on task two, they couldn't get to task three until they figure out task two. Is that correct? There were some dependency like that. One thing we did differently this year is we actually opened up all the tasks at once. It would be possible, for example, I think it was task four, that was the um, initial sort of blockchain analysis task, that they could you know, work on that task sort of independent of some of the earlier tasks. But ultimately, you're correct. Like the late, the, the especially the final two tasks, they wouldn't be able to solve those without solving the, the the previous ones. But we wanted to open up all of the tasks this year, just so that way, even if somebody didn't make it all the way to the end, that they could at least have some fun experimenting and, and playing with the blockchain um, aspect of the challenge. Did anything surprise you about the way that some of the teams went after the challenge? Because if in the past you kind of opened up task one, which would open up task two, or you only opened up a few tasks at once, when you opened up them all, did anyone go right to task seven and try to solve it right away? Nobody that we saw went to straight to task seven, but we did see um, task two, I believe. We saw more people solve task two than task one initially. So we actually had a Task zero, which was sort of a, I think that was just the IP address task, which was pretty easy. So a lot of people, you know, get past that one. But then task one, I think people had a little bit more difficulty with the reverse engineering than they did with the reverse engineering on task two. So, so that was one thing that was kind of interesting to see is that there was a little bit out of out of order task solving on some of the earlier ones. But then on the on the later tasks, what we what we saw was that generally, if somebody was able to solve task six, that they were able to solve task seven. And I think it was, it kind of go, comes down to there's a, that aha moment that you have when you realize how you can go about exploiting some of these smart contracts. And I think once you've figured that out with task six, even though task seven was completely different and there was different, actually there's multiple vulnerabilities that you had to exploit, task six kind of got them in that mode of thinking. And so uh, generally if somebody solved this, this test six, they also solved the final task. Kathy, Eric mentioned the aha moment, and that's really what you guys are getting to here, is you really want people to get excited about the work that NSA is doing, but more broadly, get excited about cybersecurity. Talk maybe a little bit about that aha moment, whether it happens during task one or task seven. The point is, 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 is this, the goal of this effort is, is to get people to recognize that cybersecurity can be fun. Exactly right, and to give them a sense of really what NSA is all about. And I think that's another part of the aha moment. It's like the National Security Agency does this or this is their mission. You know, how cool. Some kids are like, wow, we didn't even know some of this was possible. So they must be doing some pretty cool stuff at the agency in support of national security. So we we just love that. It also has given these students a real taste of, you know, when they're kind of like, I'm really interested in this, but I'm not sure 
what some of the emphasis areas are. When they look at the series of codebreaker challenges that have been released over the last couple of years, they see emphasis on software reverse engineering, cryptanalysis, vulnerability analysis, exploit development. They get a real sense of, oh, those are the things maybe I need to dive deep in as far as in my coursework and my studies. And, and they're really looking at what are some of the good schools that have good majors in these areas? Eric, one thing about this is you went through it. Are the tasks rated in terms of your ability? Does everyone do the same tasks? Or are there kind of tasks for more advanced people and, and tasks for less advanced people? How, do, how does that kind of work out? The ultimate tasks themselves are the same across the board. But one thing we do is that when we're actually developing the challenge and producing the, the materials that students download to work on, those are actually all unique uh, per student. Um, and so part of that is to you know, reduce cheating, but also is, is to provide the student with, I guess, a, a safe environment to work. So like in, in the case of the blockchain, there were some, you know, a lot of additional challenges that come into play in terms of, you know, how do we make sure that the student can successfully solve the task, you know, and exploit this attacker's contract, but not be able to affect anybody else's contract on the blockchain. Because the thing you have to remember about the blockchain is that it's all open, right? I mean, like a, a, a contract, you have, you know, it's code that's on the blockchain, but it's just another address. And so when we're actually develop, when we were developing those smart contracts, we, have, we had to be very mindful of, we had to think of all kinds of different tricks that, or games that somebody could play to try to have some sort of negative effect on, on another person's contract. And so, so in this case, everybody had there were there were there were three different contracts involved. Everybody had a escrow, and then a whole series of ransom contracts that were associated with this escrow contract. And then there was a single registry contract that kind of tracked everything. And what this enabled us to do is, and for each student, what they were ultimately trying to exploit was this escrow contract, because the idea was that okay, you you the victim would pay into this escrow there was this off-chain crypto oracle that would be monitoring the blockchain and then looking for certain events. When it would see that somebody had paid, it would then it would verify that they had paid the correct amount and that the key provided by the ransom contract would actually decrypt successfully. And if that all checked out, then it would write that back into the escrow contract. If it failed, though, then the, vic- the victim would get their money back. So that way, that was the idea behind the escrow is that you know, the victim had some guarantees that they wouldn't get a bad key. And so, but we needed to, to sort of design all of that so that, you know, one person couldn't mess with somebody else's escrow contract. It sounds to me like you guys have a lot of fun setting this up. How, how many people from NSA work on this? How many people in your group or, or the group that works on the Codebreaker Challenge? Because this this sounds really complicated in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely is. So there's, there's four of us that are kind of like the main uh, – Developers that we kind of do this as a extra extra duty because it's because it's fun, but then there's a whole slew of other people that are involved that help you know everything from you know the marketing and rollout of the challenge to you know giving tech talks at universities and so it's it's very much a big team effort as far but as like I said as far as like the actual core development there's just a, that's a smaller group of us that that do do that. It's pretty amazing how it's become part of the NSA culture now the annual Codebreaker Challenge, and everybody looks forward to, you know, getting involved or helping the team or testing something out or learning about it so they can get it get the word out on campus once the Codebreaker Challenge is actually launched. And, and Eric, do you guys have people on 
staff at NSA to test it? Do you guys have to go through it and make sure it works? Just real quick, walk me through what leads up until that, you know, end of August, early September timeframe when you guys release it for everyone to start, you know, working on. We, we end up doing the testing our, ourselves. We've always been wanting to get more people involved in the testing, but there's always like various challenges or issues that come up that seem to like have us working down to the wire <laughs> leading up to the launch. But, but yeah, so essentially, you know, leading up to it, we, you know, will internally amongst, amongst our, ourselves test it, make sure it works, make sure that it's sort of the experience that we want students to have in terms of, you know, obviously we need to make sure that the vulnerabilities that we're working into it, that we expect them to exploit, that you can successfully exploit that. Another really big task is actually the grading aspect. So some things are very easy to grade, but since the students have different binaries or different contracts, you know, there's their answers are going to be different. Some of those are very easy because it's just sort of a static answer that we can then check. Others are much more complex. Like this year, you know, we needed to have, when they would submit their result for test seven, we needed to do some automated analysis of the blockchain to actually verify that indeed the balance of the escrow was zero and that the different victim accounts had been paid back the ether and, and a bunch of other things. And so there's a fair bit of de- like back-end development work that goes into that as well to make sure that we're, we can reliably test and verify uh, the student answers. So aside from, from that, then, we also put together a tech talk that we can then send to other academic liaisons as they go out to campus and give a briefing um, introducing the challenge and then try to you know spread the word internally so that people uh, you know elsewhere in NSA are up to speed with with uh, what we have planned for the challenge. And, of course, at the very end, Eric, you and the team um, put together letters of recognition from NSA leadership that go to the individuals who are who are eligible and have solved tasks or Tier 7 tasks here. We kind of use that interchangeably. And also they receive a memento from NSA for participating. So that's a, another task once Codebreaker Challenge closes that we make sure we tie up all the ends and do some final recognition. And that's actually part of my next question is, is what, so who won in 2018 and, and do they get bragging rights or do they get something better? <laughs> yeah, they definitely get the bragging rights. So the, the leaderboard shows the, the ranking of the schools. And so you could, you definitely, I think gets to be a fair bit of competition between the schools and trying to be, you know, at the top of the leaderboard. So Oregon State University was on top this year. They had really strong participation across the board, you know, over a hundred students, and so that that was that was really great to see. And then on the you know individual student side, there were uh, 20 that actually made it through all of, all of the tasks, and they kind of came in at different points throughout the competition. There's there's one person you know that's he's, you know is a PhD student that has been involved in almost every codebreaker, and he's usually one of the the first to, to to solve, and he was first again this year, pretty shortly after the competition began. And then we had people that were solving all the way up to, I mean, there was, we had submissions on New Year's Eve of people that were still working on the code breaker. And, and even now, like after the competition's ended, we've left the site open just in case there's other people that wanted to work on it. And there's still people working and submitting solutions. So it's, it's, uh, so that's been interesting to see as well. Eric, you mentioned the Ph.D. student. We also had one student who was a freshman this year, just starting in computer science, but he had junior standing 
and he was also one of the very first solvers of Codebreaker in 2018. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, that was that was that was really impressive. We had actually never had a freshman make it through all of the tasks because, you know, when we when we try to design the challenge, we're, we're trying to appeal to the whole spectrum of talent, everything from beginners to we want it to be a challenge for people who are already experts in the field. And so it's the the, the higher end task. Generally, you see sometimes you know upperclassmen or but oftentimes it's it's graduate level students end up being the ones that complete it so yeah it was it was it was very impressive this year to see um a freshman and when it, when somebody does solve the challenge i personally will reach out to the solver and you know congratulate them and get their feedback in this case he had no prior experience with smart contracts or ethereum technology or even that much reverse engineering but um but he was able to self teach them Himself, you know, all those skills and, and get through it all. So that was pretty impressive to see. And did you hire him? <laughs> That's the real question. <laughs> I, I believe he's going to be coming for an internship. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so that's what we like to do. We reach out to these students and figure out, okay, what year are they in? How could they possibly come here to do internships or hire them full-time? So we are definitely on that from a hiring and recruitment perspective. I figured as much someone who's that that talented and I say could always use them. Uh, let's just take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk about some of those things like what happens afterwards now. My guests are Kathy Hudson, the Senior Strategist for Industry and Academic Engagement at the National Security Agency, and Eric Bryant, a Technical Director in the Crypto Analysis Organization, also at NSA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Kathy Hudson, a senior strategist for industry and academic engagement at the National Security Agency, and Eric Bryant, a technical director in the Crypto Analysis Organization at NSA. Today, we're talking about the Codebreaker Challenge that NSA sponsors each year. We, we just finished up talking about the 2018, and, and Eric, this was a fascinating discussion, and, and it's really impressive as you went through kind of some of the students who won and the teams that won. And the last thing I made a joke was the freshman who did, who solved it. I said, hopefully you hired him. And you mentioned, yeah, actually, we, we gave him an internship. And I think that's one of the other pieces about the Codebreaker Challenge that maybe people overlook is this exposes people to NSA, but it also exposes NSA to the people who maybe could work for them. So, Kathy, what happens if you will, hey, Codebreaker Challenge ends, these students are graduating or, or looking for an internships. How does NSA work with them to either bring them on board or at least – you know, get them started in that process of, hey, you could come work here. Earlier, you asked about aha moments, and this was an aha moment for us as far as hiring and recruitment. Historically, Eric and the team had always reached out to those individuals who had solved the Code Breaker Challenge and getting, um, letting the students know about internships, our other unclassified problem sets, also where we have student grants and scholarships. But what we realized is the timing of Code Breaker when it closes is usually after the deadline to apply for our internships. So what we're going to do this year is start introducing uh, opportunities such as internships to students early on. If they get into solving task level four, we're going to have a place for them to go if they're interested to research to see what we're offering, co-op opportunities, etc., so that we can get them familiar and get them to apply early on. For right now, we're reaching out to people, and we are doing a very high-touch personal approach to educate the students and let them know what we do here, how they can apply online, and we're personally tracking those applications. 
but also what we're doing through Codebreaker, which is, I guess many people would say is a really non-traditional approach, is really teaching good uh, fundamental skills. And these skills are so necessary, not just for us here at NSA, but private industry and on behalf of the nation as well. So I think there is kind of a, a bigger or higher goal with regard to Codebreaker that, you know, has really been an unintended positive consequence of what we started back in 2013. So we are we are on these students, and if it turns out we can't hire them here at the agency, we are personally referring them on to other sectors of the intelligence community as well. This has just been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time, and before I let you guys go, Eric, I got to ask. You mentioned you guys just met recently to start planning in 2019. I'm not sure how much you can tell us, but but give us a, a little sneak peek of what we should expect for 2019, and maybe if something's going to change or how's how's it going to be a little different. I know Kathy mentioned the one thing about internships. If you get past task four, uh, other changes you can give us a heads up on. So I guess the little sneak peek about this this upcoming challenge is that um, we're looking at doing something mobile app related. I can't confirm or deny that it may be an Android application. Some of the other changes that we're looking at, we're looking at making a few enhancements to the website to, to make it easier for schools that are actually using the code breaker as part of their, whether it's a, as part of a classroom assignment or extra credit. Um, so that it's you know easier for professors to actually verify you know how far students have gotten along, and then also what what Kathy had mentioned, trying to have earlier engagements on students that may be interested in coming to NSA for either an internship or full time, um, to be able to reach out earlier as opposed to um, all the way at the end uh, when they finish. All right, very cool. See, there's there's a little tidbit that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really do appreciate your both uh, times. So let me thank my guest, uh, Kathy Hudson, a senior strategist for industry and academic engagement at the National Security Agency. Kathy, thank you so much for once again taking the time to talk to me. Oh, Jason, thanks so much. I, I really enjoy these conversations. And Eric Bryant, a technical director in the Crypto Analysis Organization at NSA. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, thank you. This has been a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For this part of the show, we turn to Adam Merrill, a student at the New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology who also participated in the Codebreaker Challenge for 2018. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, happy to be here. We just heard from NSA, and they described in, in great detail what the Codebreaker Challenge was and how it worked and, and all the reasons why they've uh, started it and continue to do it. Let me bring in, since you were a student and you took on this as, as, a, as a challenge, talk about your experience with the Codebreaker Challenge and you know why did you participate? Have you ever participated before? Just give me the, the, the why you, you decided to go down this path with, with the Codebreaker Challenge. I hadn't heard of it before. I overheard a, a classmate talking about it, saying that there was a, a group of students who were trying it out, and some of them had done it before. And it sounded, you know, kind of interesting. I had done some some kind of similar things in the past, nothing to that scale. But in particular, he mentioned that the first couple parts of it were pretty easy. So I figured, well, you know, I'll give it a shot, see see what it's all about. I had been somewhat interested in cybersecurity of late, and so I was like, well, you know, this will be a good thing. I can, I can A, see if I'm good at it, and, you know, B, see if I might possibly enjoy this as a career. So that was kind of my, my motivation for participating. Did you enjoy it? And are you going to, is cyber your future career, or are you still going to go back to uh, <laughs> other parts of uh, software or, or IT uh, programming? 
Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, it was very challenging, but it was also very rewarding. And I found out, you know, since I did complete it, that I think I am pretty darn good at it. So that that is kind of my new focus in my education. And previously, had you done any cybersecurity work? I mean, generally speaking, or had you focused on on programming, or have you focused on on something, some other part of computer science? So I'd done a little bit of cybersecurity-esque stuff in, in a couple classes, more so just kind of like very basic intro level, just, you know, be aware this is a thing. But I hadn't really done anything very significant uh, with it previously. It was kind of, it was very much, uh, you know, throw me into the deep end with this with this challenge. Well, that and that's great because that's exactly where I wanted to go with it. Talk a little bit about how you went about solving the Codebreaker challenge and give me a sense of because having not having a background in cybersecurity, was there a ton of kind of studying you had to do? Was there, did you work with a team? Did you ask those friends like, hey, how are you guys addressing it? Just give me your process a little bit and why you enjoyed it so much about the NSA Codebreaker Challenge. It, it definitely was a very, very steep learning curve. So I was a computer science major, so I already kind of have that, that computer science background of, of knowing how to go out and to research those topics and to learn about them and to try them out. So kind of comfortable with, with self-teaching myself, and that was mostly what I did. Um, the first probably three, maybe four of the parts of the challenge, I, I kind of at least had a basic idea of what the process would be. Um, I just had to you know, kind of go do research and get the, the details of how to um, actually accomplish that process. As far as my involvement with other students, um, like I mentioned, um, I'd overheard a classmate talking about the challenge, and so I, I had a, a, a kind of basic idea of what to do for the first couple because he was he was talking about it to other students to explain, oh, you know, this is something even you can do. You know, it's really easy kind of a thing. But beyond that, it was it was entirely self-taught. I I spent a vast amount of time just going online, looking through documents, looking through tutorials, figuring out how to accomplish the various things that I needed. Um, I did have one friend show me how to use a, a piece of software called Ida Pro, um, the freeware version of it, to, to do some of the reverse engineering. But other than that, it was almost entirely just me going on the internet trying to you know use Google to figure out how to how to do all these things that I thought I might need to be doing to solve the, the challenge. How many hours do you think you put into this Codebreaker challenge? And what was the hardest part? Because each of the segments you built on the, the got you to the next segment. So you couldn't go from, you know, part three to part four unless you solved, obviously, a lot of the other parts as well. Uh, so, so roughly how much mm -hmm. time? I didn't really track it, but after I finished, I estimated I probably put in at least 80 hours um, over the course of three, three and a half months. Um, into into learning how to do all of this. And probably at least somewhere between a third to half of that time was spent just basically learning things online about how stuff worked. Um, as far as the hardest part, I think for this particular challenge, they were using a technology called blockchains. And I went into this like I knew that blockchain was a thing, but that was like I knew nothing else about it. I just knew it existed. And so it's a very new technology and there's not a whole lot of documentation and there's lots of different kind of versions and implementations of it. So trying to figure out how to not just, you know, use that technology the way everyone else uses it and um, through its interface, but also going more in depth into how can I read data off of the structure because there, at least from what I could find, there weren't any tools that were designed to do that in a, in a very visual way. There's just all command line and very kind of esoteric terms for the commands that you use. So definitely I'm trying to figure out how blockchains work for this particular challenge was for me the, the hardest and most time consuming part. 
at what point did you realize you were going to be successful? Like, did you ever feel like you're going to give up at any point because it was just too hard? So going into this, I actually had no intentions of actually finishing this. Like I, my initial goal was just to kind of see, see if I could get to task three or four, right? Cause there's, I think there were eight tasks if you include task zero. Um, so really getting through tasks three and four were kind of my, my stretch goal, because like I said, I saw that the blockchains were there for tasks six and seven. And I was like, I don't know anything about those. I probably won't get through that. So after I finished tasks three and four, um, or maybe it was four and five anyway, when I got to the blockchain part, um, I kind of took a break for a while, and then one day just had some free time and was like, well, you know, I could I could look into this, you know, see how hard it might theoretically be. And it, I was able to get enough information that I was like, you know what, this this might be feasible, I'll give it a shot. And so in particular, I spent a lot of time, I think, on task six, which is the second to last one. And I came up with uh, what I thought was a was a reasonable approach to solving that particular part of the challenge. And so I, I spent a significant amount of time, probably the, the majority of my time spent on this on this challenge was on that task, um, learning how blockchains worked and, and seeing if the theory that I had was going to pan out. And I found that it didn't. I, I kind of got to the end, I tried it out, got it to work, and then it just it failed. It didn't solve the task. So that kind of bummed me out a little bit. But later, um, when I was sharing that approach with a friend, he went and tried it, and it turned out to be successful. Um, so it turned out I was just, you know, missing some some little detail somewhere that I had missed. And so once once I had that reaffirmation that you know this this idea that I had was correct and it was the right approach, that really gave me the boost to to finish the rest of the challenge. And once you finished, uh, obviously you felt good about it, it's successful. What does it mean for you maybe on, on the longer term? I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about the government in general or the NSA specifically. Prior to this challenge, I had a friend who uh, was involved in the Scholarship for Service program, which is a kind of a scholarship that's provided through the NSF for students who want to really go into cybersecurity, um, in particular go into cybersecurity and work for the government. So it's a really great scholarship program that he was a part of, and he recommended that I look into it because he thought it might be a good fit for me. And so that was probably about a year ago he started talking to me about that. So fast forward to, to after I had finished tasks, you know, three and four, um, I was like, you know, this, this SFS program sounds like it could be a, a really good fit for me. And so that's when I really started looking more into, you know, what, what government jobs offer, uh, what the NSA offers, because obviously I was working in their challenge, and it became a, a very attractive option for me. And so my, the other part of my motivation to actually finish this was that I wanted to prove to myself that, hey, I'm good enough in cybersecurity that I can finish this, and that means I would be a good fit for this scholarship program. Because I was able to finish that, that actually looked really good on my application to the program and I was accepted. And so it has definitely set me on a path where I'm in this program that's sponsored by the government, that they're going to pay for my schooling. And in return, I'm going to go work for some government agency at some point after my graduation doing this kind of stuff. So it definitely had a really big impact on my career path in that now that is where I'm heading. All right, very good, Adam. This has been a fascinating conversation. I really do appreciate your time today. Uh, let me thank my guest, Adam Merrill, is a student at New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology, and he participated in the 2018 NSA Codebreaker Challenge. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, thank you for having me. It's great. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 